Unfortunately, we have been watching a slow motion onslaught where state after state we are seeing anti-voter legislation, legislation that seeks to criminalize and intimidate election workers, and, and voting laws that will subvert democracy by making certain that small coteries of people can overturn election results. Huh. Criminalize election work and subvert elections. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Someone really ought to do something about that. Let's do it. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle Here of Here I you. am. Yes, I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego. 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com. Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today, and my thanks to Nicole Sandler for filling in for us on the uh, previous thrilling Bradcast. Great to have you here for another. The claims made by Donald Trump and now even a majority of his Republican voters that the November 2020 election was stolen from him are fake. At least there has not been any, any actual evidence over the, uh, what has it been, Desi Doyen, about eight months or so (laughs) since the election? Yeah. And he's still doing it. He's still doing it. uh, And yet we have uh, yet to see any actual evidence to support the notion of massive election fraud or voter fraud that could have changed the results of the election from a Biden victory to a Trump victory in any state, much less the landslide that Donald Trump and his supporters are still trying to dupe you with uh, that he says happened on his behalf. And of course... None of that, that lack of evidence, is for lack of looking. But while the claims of a fraudulent election may be fake, the efforts being made by state Republican lawmakers across the country to limit access to the ballot while citing the fake premise of voter fraud last year to support such suppression, uh, that, unfortunately, is very real. And continues to be. That is just one of the reasons we have been following and reporting on the efforts by congressional Democrats 
uh, of late to pass the sweeping elections, voting campaign and ethics reform bill known as the For the People Act. Passed by the House as H.R. 1, currently pending in the Senate as S. 1. That's why we've been uh, following that so closely in recent weeks, along with another major federal elections bill known as the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. That would restore much of what the U.S. Supreme Court gutted in the Voting Rights Bill of 1965 back in 2013. Now, we, we may have uh, more on that a bit later, but in any event, as some 14 GOP-controlled states now, like Iowa, Georgia, Florida, and Montana, have now adapted new restrictions on voting since last year, and more states, like Texas, are vowing to do so in advance of the 2022 midterms, much attention has been given to the attempts at voter suppression in those new restrictive laws and the need to counter at least some of the worst effects of those laws at the federal level, that has become, at this point, more important than ever. Meanwhile, voting rights advocates have been filing lawsuits at the state level to challenge some of the most pernicious and often race-based restrictions in those voter suppression bills around the country, focusing on the anti-voting elements of them. But at the same time, since those measures have uh, begun being enacted into law, we have been trying on this program to draw attention to an equally, if not more pernicious element of some of those measures that would allow partisan operatives at the state and county level to actually undermine elections themselves and overturn results themselves for almost any reason that these partisan GOP state lawmakers may like. Yes, that is built into some of these bills that are being passed around the country. You heard Stacey Abrams mention that at the top of the show, even though that has gotten a lot less coverage than all of these other many concerns. Much of that effort is focused on attacking, threatening, or even removing election officials that Republicans have decided they do not like. The New York Times over the weekend has finally begun to take notice of this concern as well, writing Lonnie Hollis has been a member of the Troop County Election Board in West Georgia since 2013. A Democrat and one of two black women on the board, she has advocated Sunday voting, helped voters on election days and pushed for a new precinct location at a black church in a nearby town. But this year, Ms. Hollis will be removed from the board, the result of a local election law signed by Governor Brian Kemp, a Republican. Previously, election board members were selected by both political parties, county commissioners, and the three biggest municipalities in Troop County. But now, according to the Times, the GOP-controlled county commission has the sole authority to restructure the board and appoint all of the new members. I speak out and I know the laws, said Ms. Hollis in an interview. The bottom line is they don't like people that have some type of intelligence and know what they're doing because they know they cannot influence them. Sadly, she is not alone. Across Georgia, members of at least 10 county election boards have been removed at this point. They've had their position eliminated or or they are likely to be kicked off through local ordinances or new laws passed by the state legislature. At least five of them are people of color and most are Democrats and they will most all likely all be replaced by Republicans. 
Ms. Hollis and local officials like her have been some of the earliest casualties as Republican-led legislatures mount an expansive takeover of election administration in a raft of new voting bills this year, the Times reports. GOP lawmakers have also stripped secretaries of state of their power, asserted more control over state election boards, made it easier to overturn election results, and pursued several partisan audits and inspections of 2020 results, the Times notes, much as we have been warning for months at this point. Republicans have introduced at least 216 bills in 41 different states to give legislatures more power over election officials. That, according to the State's United Democracy Center, a new bipartisan organization that aims to protect democratic norms. Of those, 24 measures have been enacted into law across 14 states. In Georgia, in the meantime, as we've reported in detail on this program, where civil rights groups are mounting challenges to the suppression aspects of the state's new SB202 law that was signed within hours after passage by Governor Brian Kemp while he sat below a painting of a slave plantation, by the way. Total coincidence, I'm sure. The, uh, while this is going on, the nonpartisan Coalition for Good Governance has filed its own lawsuit challenging several other elements of SB202, which the Democratic Party and civil rights groups like the NAACP and Stacey Abrams Fair Fight Organization that they did not highlight in their own suits. Among those elements are provisions which allow the removal of bipartisan elections boards and, and their replacement by a single partisan who can undermine elections and overturn results at the county level. And, as disturbingly, at least for those of us in the media, a gag rule. A gag rule which criminalizes the public's party-appointed monitors and the press's reporting of absentee mail ballot processing or tabulate or any tabulation problems uh, uh, during the during the process. There's also a ban on the press estimating, yes, actually estimating absentee ballots uh, and the number, the, the number of them that are, are uh, you know, uh, still to be counted, that are being processed, that are still to be processed or that have already been processed. Simply estimating that number is now a crime in Georgia. And even a criminalization of photographing voted ballots or the 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, photographing those, the systems that voters are forced to use at all Georgia polling places while they are being used by voters. That, despite the century-long history of routine press photography and videography of such election activities inside of polling places. These are all extraordinary restrictions on press freedoms, in addition to restrictions on voters. But it's a restriction on the press itself and our ability, my ability, to report what is going on in elections to the American people. The new law in Georgia, by the way, even makes it a felony to, quote, intentionally observe other citizens' votes, even though they are displayed on the huge new touchscreen voting machines in the polling place, which in Georgia are impossible not to see while working as a poll worker or an observer or even just a voter standing in line. The law is ripe, according to the Coalition for Good Governance's lawsuit, for the arbitrary and capricious abuse of false allegations 
and enforcement of this uh, quote-unquote new crime that is almost impossible to avoid because of the flawed design of these machines that the Peach State voters are now forced to use at the polls. We will, of course, get back to coverage of the attempt by Democrats at the federal level to counteract some of the worst provisions of the anti-voting measures that are being adopted around the country. But given its swing state, swing state sat status and some surprisingly quick movement by a judge, a federal judge last week on the lawsuit that has been filed by the Coalition for Good Governance, and given that I have agreed to be the named journalistic plaintiff in this lawsuit by the coalition in Georgia. I wanted to give you an update on that lawsuit because we've got one. And uh, another really important effort by the group, by the way, as well, in concert with another favorite group of mine, that would be Free Speech for People, an event that they are holding on Tuesday that you can participate in yourself as it affects voters not just in Georgia, but in a lot of states and counties around the country, including right here in L.A. County, in L.A. County, the nation's most populous, where we, just like Georgia, are now forced to vote on 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking devices at the polling place. So joining us now for an update on all of this. And it sounds like a lot because it is. Once again, it's our old friend Marilyn Marks, a longtime expert advocate for free and fair elections as the executive director of the Coalition for Good Governance, the critical nonpartisan nonprofit organization committed to fair elections and government transparency, which successfully, by the way, spearheaded the effort to get rid of Georgia's nearly 20-year-old 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, only to see them replaced by Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger last year with brand new 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. Because this nonsense never stops. Oh, Marilyn Marks, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> co-plaintiff. Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> I am your co-plaintiff, and uh, frankly, couldn't be prouder of it. Uh, uh, to be honest, uh, listen. So, me too. Well, thank you. Uh, so, you joined me on the show uh, just about a month ago, and I, I think it was to announce that uh, critical new lawsuit against uh, SB two hundred two and the fact that I'm a named. Uh, plaintiff representing journalists and the fights for uh, press freedoms in, in challenging this terrible new law. So as I mentioned, I believe we now have an update on this suit. Uh, the, the judge has placed your expedited motion for a preliminary injunction on just certain aspects of this law, I think, on sort of a rocket docket at this point. So uh, let's start there. Where, where does the case currently, uh, currently stand in that regard? Um, yes, Brad. Um, you're right. On July 1st, we will be having a short, but I think very important, um, preliminary injunction hearing. And what this means for your listeners who mm -hmm. don't spend all their time in a courtroom <laughs> is that um, long before the trial, long before discovery, and in fact, even before the motions to dismiss are filed, mm -hmm. that um, we are asking the court to hear this urgent matter of the some of the most immediate and urgent impacts, some of which you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, on the things that we are challenging. And there is, in Georgia, for some counties right now, there is a runoff election 
coming in mid-July. Mm. It's July the 13th or 14th. Okay. And so we are asking the court to address some of these issues before that runoff election happens. And um, so we are at this hearing. We're not going to go into the much more complex takeover provisions, which mm-hmm. are super important. I want to come back and talk about them. Mm-hmm. But we are going to, to ask the judge to rule in favor of the press, which you effectively represent. You're mm-hmm. the only member of the press that is a party to the lawsuit, but we are hoping that some are going to weigh in uh, with amicus briefs, mm-hmm. because I will tell you that other members of the press are quite concerned about the fact that traditional photography mm-hmm. that they have been taking for decades is not going to be permitted in um, very in the mail ballot processing locations. Everybody is concerned about the inability mm-hmm. to get information from people like me who are mail ballot monitors, people mm-hmm. like Jean Dufort, who you've had on your show. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have reported on Georgia for how long now? <laughs> probably almost 17 years. Yeah, at least. Yep, yep. And the, probably the number of times you said Georgia on your show <laughs> would choke a horse. But think about it. There's probably been no one else, certainly not on the national front, who has reported on Georgia any more than you have. So let's think about this. When I can no longer pick up the phone and call you and say, hey, I just observed a problem. Mm-hmm. Jean DeFort can't pick up the phone. Hari Hursty can't call you. You can't talk to Philip Stark. You can't talk to Professor DeMillo about what they might have observed and then, in let me, the let mail ballot. Yeah, let me, let me let me just yeah. underscore that. So, you, you know, we all, uh, uh, citizens all across the country during this process, are able to watch the process happen, are able to watch the absentee mm-hmm. ballots being processed, put through the computers. You can't tell a lot when they're put through the computers uh, to be tallied, but you can watch the process, make sure there's no monkey business going on. If you were to do that on July 13th, this upcoming election, and it is, I, I think it would be the 13th, because that's a Tuesday. So, um, on July 13th, you go in there and uh, you see something that is troubling or uh, you come on this show and I say, how, how, how's the processing going? And you say something as anodyne as, oh, it looks like they've counted about a thousand votes. I got another couple of thousand to go. That would be a crime under this law, correct? Correct. That is correct. Which is, and yeah. Which is, <laughs> mind blowing. Yeah, which is. It is mind-blowing. Who would be committing and that crime, by the way, you or me at that point in that situation? <laughs> well, yeah, I would be committing that crime, okay. but I guess you would be my accomplice oh, if, you boy. Okay. Yeah. Right. if you were trying to in- entice me to commit that crime. Ah, um, okay. And, and um, I'm not a lawyer, a criminal lawyer. I right. don't know, but I mm-hmm. know that I wouldn't be able to tell you. Yeah. All of a sudden, your reporting is going to be silenced. You would not even know that I had anything to tell you. Yep. You would just assume that, unlike in times past, that mm-hmm. everything's going fine in Georgia. Yep. That, you know, you're not hearing from me, you're not hearing from Gene, mm-hmm. and um, therefore, no problem. One of the other things that is very, very troubling, and that is the ultimate in voter intimidation. You mentioned it um, in your opening, mm-hmm. and that is the huge touchscreen machines yep. that literally people can see from 30, 40 feet away how someone else is voting. It's hard not to see when you're walking to your 
particular voting station, Mm -hmm. you walk by five, ten others. It's almost impossible not to see. We've had voters and interns who have literally pulled up in the parking lot of voting um, polling places and can see through the windows (laughs) how people are voting. Yep. And so because we've complained so much about that violation of the secret ballot, Mm -hmm. the state is now, the way they're addressing it, rather than honoring the right to vote a secret ballot, they're saying, if you look, you are a felon, and anyone can accuse you of looking. Well, as I have mentioned to you before, we have voters now afraid to go to the polls, particularly some African-American voters who have protested against Barry Fleming, who was the sponsor of this bill, They've protested against him in the streets of their own counties, and they know that they are now targets. The, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, if I were to send someone, uh, you know, as we do around the country, we work with all right. sorts of people, send someone to the polls to, hey, keep an eye on the polls for me, uh, the, I'm actually putting them in the position of accidentally committing a crime or even if it's not uh, done on purpose it can be used against them as such we've seen the way that the secretary of state of georgia uh has tried to use the the previously existing laws against folks like you and uh georgia tech cybersecurity expert rich demillo who both served as uh, observers and ended up uh with an investigation by the secretary of state Uh, to thank for it, uh, for simply doing your job as an observer. Marilyn, I want to talk about um, the takeover provision here a little bit. I was happy to see the New York Times this weekend finally beginning to sort of understand what what, uh, you know, some are calling the election subversion aspect of some of these uh, new GOP laws. Uh, state laws, including SB 202, uh, as noted across Georgia, members of at least 10 county election boards have been removed, have had their position eliminated or, or going to be kicked off. This sure does seem wildly troubling. Will the coalition's lawsuit now that I know you talk about this aspect in the suit, that is not going to be part of the hearing coming up, I think, uh, a week or so from Friday? That's right, Brad. Um, the takeover provisions are incredibly complex from a legal standpoint, mm-hmm. and we thought it best to try to use our limited, urgent, you know, time um, to take care of or ask the court to rule on some of the more straightforward things that are impacting people right now. So far, no one has has attempted a takeover. Um, but we will very quickly be turning to that. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think you played a, a quote by Stacey yeah. Abrams um, mm-hmm. as we started, and she was talking about um, turning over election results as a that that is part of the takeover ability to overturn them. Yes, yeah, that's yeah to overturn take, uh, election results. Yep. But it's really far far more dangerous and broader than that. There, a lot of people assume that it is just, you know, um, candidate A1, um, the people in charge don't like it, so they come and remove the election board and put in their own results. That can be done, but that is not what we expect to happen. We expect them to use the takeover provision to start months before an election. 
and they're not going to need to change the results because they're going to change who gets to vote. Essentially, we expect them to come in. This is the state election board Mm -hmm. who can put in one partisan appointee and wipe out the entire board. They don't even get to choose to wipe out one or two members. Mm -hmm. No, the law says you wipe out the entire board. No exceptions. So they they take a bipartisan board, remove it, put in one um, partisan appointee, and then that person will begin to decide, oh, how many early voting places shall we have? How many machines shall we put in? You know, Mm -hmm. uh, which provisional ballots do we count? Um, Oh, how do we staff the polling places in the various neighborhoods? Mm -hmm. Well, you can just imagine the kind of mischief that someone can can begin to impact the election with in their choice of how to deploy equipment and how to deploy staff. And we go on from there. Which which absentee ballots are we going to count? Which provisional ballots are we going to count? And so they're not going to need to actually change the result, even though they could. They will have already impacted the result before the first ballot is counted. You know, uh, w- with everything that they are doing here, and by the way, you know, a lot of people have been lauding uh, Brad Raffensperger as some fantastic hero because he refused to unlawfully overturn the election uh, for Donald Trump last year. We've been reporting on uh, Georgia Secretary of State for many, many months on this show. He is, uh, to, uh, to be kind here, uh, he is no saint. Uh, neither is uh, the former Secretary of State, now Governor Brian Kemp. Um, you know, these are the folks who are going to be now using these laws to their to their the advantage of their party. And uh, you know, as those of us who cover these things try to report on them, that has now been criminalized, as I've been discussing here with Marilyn. Actually, and I want to, because there, there was some media coverage I want to ask you about in a second, but I, I've actually been somewhat surprised uh, about the media coverage that I've seen to date. They, you know, they talk about some of these items. New York Times talked about the takeover provision, the election subversion stuff. But I have not seen a lot of them talking about the press freedoms here, which I think are particularly pernicious in the Georgia law. Have you... Um, you know, while working on this suit, what has been the response from other folks in the media, either publicly or or privately? You mentioned there may be an amicus brief uh, somebody files, but uh, do they share your concerns and my concerns about things like the gag orders and the photography bans on members of the media and so forth? Why aren't they covering this uh, to the extent it should be? That is a really good question, Brad. I have talked to a number of members of the press, mm-hmm. most of them Georgia-based, and they've been unaware of these provisions and shocked when I point them out. You know, um, th- th- there was a 92-page bill, very dense, and the press tended to follow what the big voting rights organizations were pointing to. And most of the big voting rights organizations have really been focused on the racial discrimination Mm -hmm. that is embedded in that bill, and that has been their forte. Therefore, they've not really looked at the press freedoms, the freedoms of the uh, monitors to be able to speak up about problems, and they haven't even looked at this voter intimidation issue with respect to the felony that can be charged for just seeing what's right in front of your eyes. Mm Um, and so when I talk to, to pre- members of the press, Brad, they're not nearly up to speed with it like you are. 
they've really been shocked in a couple of the local well that's because we have a lot more we have a lot more resources a way bigger newsroom here than you know <laughs> cnn or new york that's times AJC or, yeah, yeah i feel sorry for them but yeah okay press on go ahead yeah. no and and then i will i will say that some of the local media outlets in georgia have said well, they can't really mean that um that sh- this has got to be something that they they just got garbled in the law, and they they didn't really mean <laughs> that. They won't really do this. Oh yeah, no, why oh, worry? Oh yeah, why yeah. Worry? And why wouldn't they do it? They've you know yeah. they're doing that is exactly what they want. Brad yep. Raffensperger essentially insisted on these provisions. You know, although mm-hmm. some of the media consider him to be some kind of saint, this is his bill. There is no question. Yep. This is his bill. His attorneys drafted it, and he's the one who wants to crack down on any criticism coming from people like you or me or CNN or New York Times or yep. any other place. So, no, they have really not been on top of this. But let me mention another one to you that's, that, that we're running into with respect to this July 13th. Um, runoff. Mm-hmm. Um, they've nobody else is talking about this. You know, we're the little guys, Brad. But 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 we're kind of out there being nimble and fighting on the battlefronts that no one else is. Mm-hmm. But you know that there's this 11 day rule that you and I have talked about, yes. where that um, you cannot apply for an absentee ballot within the last 11 days before the election. Right. You know, you have to apply 11 mm-hmm. days ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, we just had an election that is resulting in a runoff, and that runoff is going to be um, July the the thirteenth. Mm-hmm. Well, there will be no runoff. There is, there will be a runoff, mm-hmm. but there will be no official runoff determined until July the second. In other words, the date the official runoff is called, yep. it's already too late to apply for a ballot. And that is so no. Weird. That's no accident either. They don't pull uh, eleven day the, the, the number eleven out of their butts. Th- that was on purpose. They know that that's when they certify the initial election. Uh, it's got to be certified by eleven days before the runoff, and by that point, right. you're out of luck if you have not uh, uh, registered to vote. If you haven't uh, requested an absentee ballot, Marilyn, no. I gotta get I gotta get to a couple uh, to a break here shortly, and there's okay. a, a, some other stuff I want to ask you about, including. Uh, your big forum on Tuesday uh, concerning touchscreen voting systems, which I hope everyone will 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 try to watch. But uh, on the on the on the notion of the media here, um, you know, there was some uniquely stupid coverage of this lawsuit by the right wing Mooney owned uh, Washington Times newspaper. Uh, this is a report by a reporter, Rowan Scarborough, which quotes me in the report, and he does so fairly. I have no complaints about that. But he ties your lawsuit at coalitionforgoodgovernance.org to Georgia's voting rights champion, Stacey Abrams, um, somehow headlining this uh, uh, report on, on this lawsuit we've been talking about. Uh, the headline is Stacey Abrams escalates fight against GOP Georgia election changes. Now, the story opens this way. Uh, Failed Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams is targeting safeguards in the state's new election integrity law that restricts photographing a voter's ballot, touchscreen, and limit the ability to relay ongoing vote tallies, uh, citing how Abrams 
and other Democratic activists are targeting the new law. Now, it also goes on uh, to quote me as a plaintiff. He writes for the photo ban, the group cites journalist and ballot machine skeptic Bradley Friedman, who for years has investigated reports of voter fraud and joined the lawsuit as a plaintiff. The suit says the photo restriction violates his freedom of the press. Mr. Friedman told the Washington Times, quote, I have a long record of supporting citizens or groups of citizens making efforts as they see fit to press for oversight in elections and to push for transparent, overseeable election results that are based on independently verifiable evidence. That's the quote that he asked me for via email, and I gave him that, and he, he ran it as is. Great. So that's what I told him uh, when he requested comment. So I'm not complaining there, but he seems to be compl conflating <clears throat> a whole bunch of different lawsuits against SB202 and even a completely separate suit by coalitionforgoodgovernance.org that I want to get into uh, after a break here. But his argument here is somehow evidence of Stacey Abrams escalating her fight with, quote, other Democratic activists. Well, I, at least I, for one, am neither Democratic nor an activist. Uh, Marilyn Marks, you've spent most of your life until recently as a registered Republican. Correct. <laughs> uh, and as far as I know, Stacey Abrams... As much of a champion as she is for voting rights, has absolutely nothing to do with this lawsuit against SB202, does she? And not a bit. I mean, yes, she has helped other uh, organizations with their SB202 lawsuit, but she is not involved with ours at all, nor is she funding it. Um, of course, we'd be delighted to have a check from her mm -hmm. and all of your other listeners, too. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, they are in no way involved with this. We've never even discussed it with them. But I think that people use Stace the Republicans use Stacey's name mm -hmm. as a purposeful lightning rod, I even when she's not connected with something. If there is something that they want to, um, to try to discredit, they try to use her name. Yeah, and, and they uh, apparently... Uh, have a helper here by the name of Rowan Scarborough at the Washington Times newspaper, who I even wrote to after I saw this uh, story. And I said, no, I, uh, Stacey Abrams has nothing to do with this lawsuit, to my knowledge. Here's Marilyn Marks' email address. You can confirm it with her. Never heard a word back from him. That story, as far as I know, still stands. Uh, boy, talk about your fake news outlets. Washington really? Times, you are one of them. Uh, now, uh, by the, i got to get to a break here. But, uh, you know, this is just one of the reasons that I love coalitionforgoodgovernance.org um, because, you know, Stacey Abrams, of course, is doing very important work. She's a big name. She's working with several other big name groups uh, on, on her suits. But you guys, the coalition, are smaller, you're scrappier, you're certainly less flashy or, or well-known, and yet your lawsuit is the first to come before a judge, a federal judge in this case. Uh, before a break here, what's the reason for that, and are y'all ready for this hearing next week? We will definitely be ready for the hearing. We're expecting one more brief from the um, from the defendants, which mm -hmm. will be very interesting to read. And when we read that, we will be doubly ready. But the, we're scrappy. We're we're. Um, we're out in the field is the difference. Mm. We have volunteers who are out in the field watching how all of this stuff works. This was personal to them. 
when the when the law came down saying you can't talk about these things you've been talking about you can't talk about the problems with the machines with the problems with the mail ballots you know you can't talk about the problems with the uh violation of secret ballot so this is personal to them and so we're ready with um close to 200 pages of evidence as you saw that we filed yeah and so we're 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 more on the ground than the than you know the big voting rights organizations on mm-hmm. these points. But you were mentioning Republicans. Let me say something real fast yeah. about. I haven't had a chance to tell you. Okay. Today, the judge granted the order for the RNC to intervene. They've asked to intervene in mm. our case to protect the Secretary of State. Mm. However, interestingly, they have said that they are not going to oppose us on the observation felony the gag rule, the estimating ban, the photography ban. So even the Republicans are not going to try to defend four of these five things wow. that we are going after. Wow, and which, which elements are they intervening uh, to, to defend? Oh, that 11-day that eleven day rule. Ah. Um, that Yeah, they don't, they don't want people getting absentee ballots, and so uh. they're going to defend that as well wow. as the takeover when the when that part of the uh, when that part of the trial comes fascinating but, um isn't that fascinating it, it certainly is uh and telling in many ways okay uh marilyn let me take a break here uh as if you because as if you're not busy enough on this suit at the very same time you've got another federal lawsuit in georgia this one a long-running uh suit regarding the state's 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that could actually affect voters or at least i hope it does not only in georgia but in other states uh which use similar unverifiable touchscreen voting systems including yes us right here in los angeles county uh, i want to ask you about that suit and this very cool open conference that all of our listeners can take part in it's happening on tuesday june 22nd regarding uh, those very touchscreens we're talking about uh, these so-called ballot marking device systems uh can you stick around here through a quick break to hit that real quick Marilyn, you bet. Thank you. You bet. I'd love to. Marilyn Marks of the nonprofit and quintessential coalition for goodgovernance.org. She hangs with us for another segment. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones are on the way. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Touch it, touch it, touch it, touch me. I want to be dirty. Throw me, show me, fulfill me. Creature of the night. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. I'm speaking with Marilyn Marks, longtime election uh, champion, election integrity champion, founder and executive director of the indispensable coalition for goodgovernance.org, which is suing the state of Georgia over its recently adopted voter suppression bill and uh, both its attacks on press freedoms, for which I am their named plaintiff, and the provisions which allow bipartisan election boards to be replaced with 
a single partisan official who can overturn elections, undermine results for virtually any reason that the Republican state legislature feels like and a bunch of other stuff. But she is also she also has another critical federal lawsuit filed in the state. This one is a long-running suit challenging Georgia's 100% unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking device voting systems. The case has already resulted in the federal judge in that case decertifying, banning the state's 20-year-old Diebold touchscreen systems, finding them unverifiable, insecure, and, and thus unconstitutional. But the state's Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger quickly replaced those Diebold systems last year with an all-new 100% unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking device system, or BMD, made by a company named Dominion Voting Systems, uh, which, which have many of the exact same insecurity and unverifiability problems as the old Diebold systems that they just got rid of. Uh, And moreover, similar systems are used in a bunch of other states around the country, like South Carolina, Nevada, parts of Ohio and Texas. And yes, right here in the nation's most populous voting jurisdiction, Los Angeles County. So Marilyn Marks, thanks for sticking around. Your other Georgia lawsuit uh, continues to challenge the state's brand new. I think it's $111 million, uh, if I'm remembering, uh, their their unverifiable touchscreen systems that are now forced on on, uh, voters at the polls in every county. Is that lawsuit also now getting back in business at the same time as this other one is moving forward? It, it, It certainly is. The judge has ordered discovery. And discovery is is in the throes of, of beginning, mm-hmm. and we will be learning much more about the deficiencies and the dysfunction of this system. We already know a lot, and what we know is really bad. And in fact, what we already know tells us that the system is worse than the DRE, the paperless DRE system. Mm-hmm. So they've gone from bad, you know, unconstitutional mm-hmm. to worse. But when we are able to get all of the discovery materials that the state is fighting us over, mm-hmm. uh, we will be able to prove without a doubt that uh, they've gone from bad to worse and, and that there is no question that this is an unconstitutional um, system so that there, needs to go away. So there is a possibility that this federal judge could also decertify these brand new uh, touchscreen systems. Um, certainly, Brad, and that is what our case is about. And if you read her order from October, just before the presidential election, mm-hmm. she she issued a, about a 150-page order and went through the evidence and essentially said, yes, these are really problematic. You know, yes, they are so vulnerable, and the, the voter cannot verify, you know, what ballot it is they mm-hmm. are casting, what votes they are casting. And so she she warned over and over that this system appeared to be an unreliable system. She chose not to declare it unconstitutional right there before yep. the presidential election. But yes, if you read her opinion, we, I think, have good reason to be optimistic that in time um, we, we will see the end of that system and, in Georgia. And, 
And this is a this is a federal lawsuit. So if she does ban the new uh, Dominion uh, systems in Georgia because they're unverifiable and secure and so forth, she, if she finds them unconstitutional, what will that mean for other jurisdictions that use the same machines or machines like it, uh, like us here in uh, L.A., where we are also now forced to use uh, similar touchscreen systems at the polling place? Will it have any effect outside of Georgia? Not immediately, okay. but but then it will make people in your county find they will find it much easier to file a lawsuit and reference these federal judges' mm-hmm. findings. The same thing will be true in in other states, and so it will definitely have not a binding impact right away, but certainly influence. And then, if the state were to, if we were to be fortunate to get that kind of ruling, the state mm-hmm. would appeal it. And when they went to the appeals court, that kind of ruling would would apply to all the the states that are in the Eleventh Circuit and on up the ladder. Mm-hmm. But yes, it will have um, direct and indirect impact. Would- and. Which is no, which is why I mean this is just one of the reasons. Of course, I'm interested in Georgia itself, uh, you know, and it's it's uh, you know critical uh, swing state status. Of course, I'm always worried about the voters in any state. But uh, one of the reasons you know I've been so uh, interested in what's going on in Georgia is because I know that it does affect, and the work that you do, that the coalition is doing is going to have an effect on voters in Ohio, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Texas, South Carolina, Louisiana, Nevada, and yes, right here in California. It's really important. And so, uh, you know, I, I am interested in Georgia, but uh, it's also about how this affects the rest of the country. That's why I think you have the most important lawsuit in the country going when it comes to voting systems right there in Georgia. Which brings me finally, uh, and this is very exciting, and I've got just a minute or two here to, to talk to you about this. Uh, but coalitionforgoodgovernance.org has teamed up with one of my other favorite nonpartisan government watchdog groups that would be free speech for people.org for what you guys are calling today's electronic voting machines an examination of the use and security of ballot marking devices and it features pretty much every guest who has ever appeared on the broadcast uh, uh, over the years. Uh, Susan Greenhall, a great election integrity advocate from Free Speech for People. Rich DeMillo, we mentioned him earlier, great cybersecurity champion from Georgia Tech. J. Alex Holderman of the University of Michigan, who has hacked into more voting systems uh, than I have probably voted on, uh, including the D-Bold touchscreens that are now banned in Georgia. Cybersecurity research expert Kevin Skoglin from uh, Philadelphia. Phil S- Philip Stark of UC Berkeley. He's the inventor of the post-election risk-limiting audit protocol. He was just on this show, I think, a week or so ago. He oversaw the audit of the Wyndham, New Hampshire election that sort of went sideways on a Diebold uh, system. Uh, he worked along with another guest of yours at this forum on Tuesday, the legendary Finnish uh, cybersecurity and voting system expert Harry Hursty. 
You may have seen him in HBO's Hacking Democracy or Kill Chain, the cyber war on American elections. Many other guests on this show over the years uh, who will be at your forum that our listeners may be familiar with. How can folks take part in this conference and what should they expect to learn, particularly our listeners here in L.A., where we are also, as I said, now forced to vote on these unverifiable touchscreen systems at the polling place? And you're right, Brad, we're doing this and the lawsuit for the nation, not just Georgia. As you know, I don't even live in Georgia, right. but I'm doing this for the reasons that you said. Okay, so the the seminar is on Tuesday, mm-hmm. the 22nd. Yep. It starts at noon Eastern time. People can go find out the information, RSVP to it, by going to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, uh, BMD Forum mm-hmm. CGG. BMD Forum CGG. Okay. Or they could also always go to um, uh, my Twitter feed, and they will easily find it, and that is Marilyn R. Marks 1, Marilyn R. Marks the numeral 1. Um, and they would also find it on coalitionforgoodgovernance.org. Okay. Or they will also find our donate page, by the way, to mm. help us with this. Okay. We're the little guys and really do need it, Brad. But we would welcome voters, activists, officials from across the country. We have a few hundred uh, participants already signed up. Very cool. Uh, Whether I'll be able to get there or not remains to be seen. I'll have a show to do, but I do hope uh, folks will consider stopping by. Sounds like you have to get an RSVP first at uh, bit.ly, bit.ly, bit.ly slash bmdforum. CGG for Coalition for Good Governance. Uh, looks like a really uh, excellent event, and uh, I hope people will check it out, as I hope they will check out your critical work at coalitionforgoodgovernance.org. Uh, and no, though I'm a plaintiff, uh, I have nothing to do otherwise with the group. I just think they're fantastic, and I hope folks will support them. Uh, coalitionforgoodgovernance.org. Marilyn Marks is on the Twitters at Marilyn R. Marks, the number one. And the coalition is on Twitters uh, on the Twitters as well. They are Coalition Good Gov. That's GV. Coalition Good Gov. Marilyn, that was a whole lot to catch up with. I couldn't be more uh, uh, thankful for uh, you giving us all of this time when you've got two federal lawsuits and a forum ahead. Thank you. I'll stop bothering you Thank for you. a day or two, but uh, Don't do that. expect to hear from me again soon. <laughs> that sounds great. Thank you so much, Brad. Thank you, Marilyn. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, we'll take a quick break, and we'll come <laughs> back with a little bit more new. Uh, boy, she got a lot to say. She did. Uh, There's a lot to, to cover. About. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I've made it clear. They are doing the work that no one else in the country is doing. I know a lot of it sometimes overlaps with, you know, uh, Other the groups? lawsuits from uh, 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 Stacey Abrams and Fair Fight, and that's important as well. But she really is hitting elements. Uh, that very few other groups are. So I'm uh, delighted she was able to make time for us today in the middle of all of this as we're trying to keep up with it all. And uh, yes, um, I'm a plaintiff. I hope I get to testify. It'll be interesting. Nobody's told me to get on a plane yet and come on out, (laughs) but if I must... I shall, whatever needs to be done. All right, quick break, and we're back with our last few minutes here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We have we have been reporting quite a bit, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, on the effort to get the Democrats' sweeping election and campaign uh, re- uh, the finance reform bill through Congress to counteract some of the worst voting restrictions uh, of these uh, state these state GOP laws that are being adopted around the country and at the federal level to expand access to the ballot box to all eligible voters uh, in this bill named the For the People Act. It's already passed the House under the bill number H.R. 1. It's currently in the Senate as S. 1, where 49 of 50 Democratic senators, excluding West Virginia's Joe Manchin, have already signed on as co-sponsors and where Republicans are vowing to use the filibuster to kill this bill dead in its tracks. Now, after Manchin came out with an op-ed a few weeks ago saying that he would vote against the For the People Act, last week he put out a list of proposals that he described as a compromise version of For the People, which includes some of the key elements of the initial bill, the original bill that's already passed in the House, including automatic voter registration in all 50 states, a minimum of two weeks of early voting in all 50 states, a ban on partisan gerrymandering, which is huge. And frankly, if that's all that they were passing, this would be a bill worth passing. Oh, definitely. In my opinion. Uh, limits on dark money in elections and, and other things. Now, we mentioned earlier uh, Stacey Abrams from Georgia. She came out quickly after Manchin's compromise offer, as did we on the show, to say, yeah, take it. Take the offer, Democrats. Take the deal. And uh, on Tuesday, uh, Senate Democrats uh, this week uh, say they will hold a test vote on S-1, the For the People Act, to move it forward in the uh, in the upper chamber in the Senate. It's not yet clear to me if it'll be the version that passed in the House or if it'll be a scaled-down version to meet uh, Joe Manchin's uh, requirements uh, to get all 50 Democrats on the same page. But uh, it sounds like they were working through the weekend trying to come up with a, ver- a version that Manchin could get behind. We will see, I guess, on Tuesday, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about the Manchin compromise version today. Here's what she had to say during the daily press briefing. As compromises happen, it means there's a lot that you like about it, and it may not be everything you love, but he certainly sees this as a step forward. Uh, and uh, and as uh, Stacey Abrams said uh, over the weekend, incremental steps forward in making voting rights more accessible, making voting more available is a good thing. Uh, and he certainly is uh, appreciative of the efforts by Senator Manchin and others uh, to continue to make progress uh, on voting rights. So uh, the he she's talking about there is Joe Biden, that he is appreciative of Joe Manchin's efforts and so forth to move forward. Now, even if Manchin uh, votes in favor of this critical measure, 
there is still the little issue that even with all 50 Democrats in favor, you would still need at least 10 Republicans to also vote for it in order for it to pass in the Senate, which is pretty literally impossible to get 10 Republicans. Unfortunately, Manchin has also said he opposes reforming or eliminating the filibuster. Uh, so, yeah, that's a big problem as well. But last week, speaking to big money donors in a Zoom conference call that was obtained by The Intercept, Manchin made clear he might consider certain reforms to the filibuster as well. So this is by no means a dead letter. Um, Jen Psaki at the White House was also asked about that as well today. We don't expect there to be a magical 10 or more Republican votes. They've been clear, uh, the Republican Party and Republicans in the Senate. They do not want to make it easier to vote. They do not want to make it more accessible for Americans to vote. If the vote is unsuccessful, I suspect, we suspect, that may change the conversation on the Hill. We will see. Uh, but I'm not going to get ahead of where things are. There's going to be a vote. Uh, Democrats, we suspect and hope, will be united in making voting more accessible uh, for people across the country, making sure we're advocating for it as a fundamental right. Uh, this is an opportunity for Republicans to stand up and do the same. Shouldn't be a partisan issue. It shouldn't be. shouldn't be. But yes, it is. But she says she suspects... And hopes that the Democrats will be united in that test vote on Tuesday. We shall see. One step at a time, but uh, it does seem like we are moving forward. Uh, so we will be watching closely in the U.S. Senate on uh, on Tuesday. Of course, by the way, Joe Manchin is not the only uh, Democrat who has uh, said that he opposes reforming the filibuster. Kirsten Cinema has as well. She's now being targeted by progressive groups with a big old seven-figure uh, ad campaign to pressure her in Arizona uh, to try to come around when it comes to the filibuster. To supporting so. voting rights, and if that means getting rid of the filibuster or reforming it, yes. Here's uh, here's one of those ads. Senator Cinema, You said that voting rights are fundamental to our democracy. These words are meaningless unless you back them up. Why are you standing by and allowing Republican leaders to threaten our rights? You should be using our power to protect us. Instead of fighting for us, you're doing their dirty work. Letting a Jim Crow relic keep us down. Senator Cinema, our right to vote is under attack. What's more important to you? The political tricks used for years to block our rights. Or democracy for all. Go get them. That's wow. uh, from the group Just Democracy. They're spending uh, more than a million dollars uh, on ads uh, on local TV, on cable news, local news, local sports in the state. So, uh, yep, go get them. Keep up the pressure. Delighted to see it. We got to get out. My thanks to our guest today, Marilyn Marks of CoalitionForGoodGovernance.org, to my producer, Desi Doyne, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com, and you'll find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>